Propaganda rag BuzzFeed does a hit piece on Dan Cathy and Trillith. He's racist and they're racist with their racery racers and racistness. Racist. I don't know if it's All right, welcome back to the Free Mind Podcast. Back in the saddle. If you're watching us, you're like, you might be wondering why we have a different background and it's a little bit darker than normal. Um, we are not at home today, so we don't have our fancy, fancy, smancy lights that our Patreon uh, Patreon folks helped us to fund. Um, so we just got these regular old yellow lights up here, and it's, the sun's going down behind us. But we are in the land of the living, and that's what counts. Um, and I got my Propel shirt on, if you can see it. Um, we're actually at Immersion Camp. Um, this is like the last night of it here down in Pine Mountain, Georgia. And it's been an amazing time as always. Yes. Um, in fact, so much fun. Yeah. What What was your uh, What's your highlights from the, the camp? Oh, my gosh. Besides the kids who are amazing, just the content. Yeah. The rich, heavy content. I mean, they dive deep. Day one, it's like, why do I believe Christianity? Is it true? Is it reliable? Um, critical race theory identity, gender, identity, transgenderism, homosexuality, right? pornography. Progressive I mean, they go Christianity, progressive. All they, I mean, some heavy hitters. And they come really in. don't like, they really don't hold back for these high school students. They, I mean, they go hard. Like it's I'm, first rate. No deep. doubt. I'm poking stuff like, they, they just say that? Yes, <laughs> right? they did because they'll hear it in culture. And so might as well confront it and just understand what those words and terms mean. For so sure. it's been, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. So it's something if if you're thinking about it, um, man, I would just I can't recommend these camps enough. They got Propel, which is amazing, Immersion, which is two weeks, and then the Fellows program. I just highly, 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 highly recommend it if you can get your high school kids out here, man. It's such a good high equipping. School, yeah. I've in fact I wish, like I've been trying to think for years, like even talking with Jonathan, the director there, is like, man, how do we get this He's stuff amazing. in the churches? Because oh. I tell you, if like. You know, we talk a lot about here about reformation and revival, awakening in the church, man. And I think a big yeah. part would be like this is such a big part to really understand the biblical worldview and how to um, how to really be able to stand when when it's confronted by the cultural ideas that are coming at it day yeah. in and day out. Yeah, and even some of the kids were like, "Man, we don't talk about this anyway. We don't get to yeah, discuss this to learn do. of it." Yeah. So, in schools, they'll probably learn the opposite. <laughs> so, for sure, it's just good to get that kind of understanding and teaching from a yeah, Christian sure. framework. So yeah, it's been awesome. So, and they also have the classes like you could do with your family online. So check it out. Impact 360. The link will be it, in the it. show notes. Um, all right. So let's get to this thing. Uh, if you're watching, you can follow along. I'm going to pull up the article here. Um, if you're not familiar with BuzzFeed, it's a um, pretty much a traditional fundamentalist Baptist magazine no, I'm just kidding. I don't know about to say what <laughs> uh, no it's I mean it's your it's your straight up you know progressive leftist um, just like most mainstream media is if you click around here I won't take the time to do it on the show but you can see their categories you got here um, just inequality LGBTQ are two of the of the many categories and if you flip through those you'll definitely see which perspective they come from mm. there's a clear ideology at play. Like anything else, like there is no there is no completely neutral zone, which is fine. But it's good to know 
where an article's coming from, um, just so you can you can read in like what are their assumptions, what are their presuppositions, that yeah. are that are you know kind of like playing into how they're interpreting mm-hmm. different data points, what they decide to share, what they decide to leave out, all that kind of stuff. And that goes for um, reading any book, listening to any speaker, including us. We have our assumptions, we have our presuppositions. The difference is with leftism and progressivism as an ideology, Marxism, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think of this little thought experiment that I've heard before. I can't remember where, but you know, if, if you if you're talking to a guy and he says all Cretans are liars, and you know that he's a Cretan. You're you're in a bit of a bind because if it's true that all Cretans are liars, then, then he's lying. lying. But yeah, okay. if he's lying, then all Cretans are liars. Is that true? Like like you're in a bind. But if he's a Cretan and he's lying about the fact that all Cretans are liars, then he's lying. So either way, I I don't know. I like I'm at I'm at this like mind blown <laughs> like like skeptical back and forth thing where you bounce back and forth and you you can't say anything that's the problem with progressivism mm. um progressive and i'm you know Framework. we could okay. we pull us together down. in other podcasts but with postmodernism which is really the at, at, at the like the the root or the foundation of marxism and especially how like critical theory plays out, which is this, you know, BuzzFeed is infused with critical theory. At the root of postmodernism is the idea that there is no objective truth. There is no objective mm-hmm. knowledge. There's just power plays. Um, it's the it's in the eye of the beholder. It's the interpreter that brings the meaning to the text. There's different versions of postmodernism, but the big idea is there's no meta narrative. There's no objective truth. That's why you'll hear in the critical theory talk um, that when when people try to appeal to scientific evidence or objectivity, they'll call that whiteness. For instance, at the Smithsonian African American mm-hmm. Museum, because they're they're saying there is no such thing. So when people claim objectivity, they're using their power and they're using their hegemony to to pull that on people, so they can act like they're objective, but there is no such thing. So therefore, it's a power play. So if you know that the person's worldview that they're starting from doesn't hold to objective truth, what does that mean then about everything they're going to try to convince you of? That that means if they're consistent with their presuppositions, they're only going to use reason, quote unquote, to prop up a viewpoint. They're not going to care about objectivity or honesty mm, wow. or um, like, you know, am I really presenting this fairly? It doesn't matter. There is no fairly. There's no objectivity. There's just basically we've got to make things equal. We got to prop up our narrative. And that's where you get AOC that time when she got caught lying about something. She said, well, it's not factually correct, but it's morally correct. What does she mean by that? She means, well, this data that I presented supports my narrative and the narrative is for a good end. It's for a good moral cause. Therefore, it doesn't matter if it's factually correct. That's why when it comes to reading progressive outlets, it's an extra layer of skepticism added on to our normal like trust and verify kind of um, setting because their very worldview undermines their authority, mm. which requires trust, which requires honesty and, and, and at least an attempt to be objective as much as possible, even though you come from a certain perspective. Wow. Okay. So that's why when you look at, when you look at all these news outlets, I don't I don't take any of them, um, at face value, you know, some of the, some of the straightforward data points like this happened in 1920 or, you know, yeah, that's usually that's fine. 
because that's too easy. They don't want to undermine the persuasion of their narrative by giving, you know, mistaken facts, quote unquote. So usually their, their straightforward facts will not be error in error, although sometimes that even happens. But especially the closer it gets to like the narrative element, you have to have a disposition, not of trust and verify with them, verify. Everything has to be verified. Okay. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because you really, with journalism, you you ideally you want to be in the case that even though if you know someone's come from a perspective, you feel like they're fair-minded and they're going to present um, as best as they possibly can an accurate scenario of the situation or accurate, accurate portrayal of the situation. Mm. Um, but unfortunately here we, we can't simply take anything for granted and we have to say, Ooh, well, maybe it's true. Okay. Maybe it's not. Uh, I, who knows, but I'll have to verify, but I'm going to try to do the best I can to just <laughs> sort of take this at, at, at face value. And again, the writer here, uh, her name is Brianna Sachs and you can tell, you can flip through, I flipped through some of her articles Clearly, you know, the ideology she's coming from, it's just, you know, it's your typical, you know, leftist progressivist thing, which is fine, but just good to know. So let's jump on in, jump on in. Let me say one more thing too. Mm -hmm. Thinking worldviewishly, right? Um, You want to have a good idea in order to understand the counterfeit, you need to know the real, right? So what is the real? What is biblical justice? Biblical justice is impartiality. God hates unequal weights and measures. So things need to be equal in measure. You need to judge. It's sort of like that statement of Martin Luther King Jr. You know, people are judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. That it would be an, um, just an example of what biblical justice is like. Um, <clears throat> you also have, you know, the, the idea that, you know, someone always sounds right when they present their case first mm-hmm. until it's cross-examined. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my, a lot of journalism now you have no cross-examination or no real attempt at it. You'll, you'll have them pretend to, but it's just not typically much on that side. Um, but, but the, but the thing with the impartiality is important because that runs directly against critical race theory as presented in, by Ibram X. Kendi, for instance, and Robin D'Angelo. According to Ibram X. Kendi, this is a reminder for those, I, I would just recommend you go back and listen to our podcast with Neil Shenvey or Sam Say on this topic to get an in-depth discussion. But Ibram X. Kendi says basically all you have to do is count a room, like walk into a room and count count the races. If, if one race well, is yeah. um, overrepresented, there's racism. It's because it's not a safe space. Now that of course it only goes one way because it has to be the oppressor races, which, you know, the canonical oppressor race is white, but you could have white adjacent and Asian versus black. If you had too many Asians, especially Asians that act white, quote unquote, <laughs> then it's Asian racists, racism against black folks. If they're, if black folks aren't represented enough in number in a particular mm-hmm. case. So all you have to do is count heads according to Ibram X. Kendi and the, the disparity in, um, um, the number of races represented in any, you could say leadership or even in the room shows you if there's racism or not. The second part is, um, you know, especially for Robin D'Angelo is that racism is always present. There's no, like there, there just is no getting rid of systemic racism. It's always there. The question is, how is it manifesting itself? So if you start with that disposition, um, and you implement Ibram X. Kendi's sort of tools or activist ways to get rid of that, he actually says 
you should engage in racism in order to um, fix the the quote unquote racism that's already there. And that is what he basically how he defines his anti-racism and how to be an anti-racist. So for let's give a quick example. Yeah. You walk, you know, you there's a board of I don't know, whatever. And there's six people and f- you have five of them are white. Ibram X. Kendi says right away he has to do no other investigation. Racism. Directly tied to racism. How do you fix okay. it? Hire, you just get, get rid of some of the white people, hire black people in their place. And, and now, is that, more even. is that hiring process biblical? Is that equal weights and measures? Because the Bible mm-hmm. says, you know, basically the way of, 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 of Scripture in that sense is you hire the person that's most qualified. And you don't look, it, it shouldn't be determined by their economic status, the hue of their skin, whatever. It's, it's, you know, you give the position to who best deserves it or earns it. That's kind of the justice mm-hmm. element. Um, for him, it's not like that. You got to prop it up in terms of race. So mm-hmm. he would actually be racist according to the biblical definition of racism. Yeah. And so that, that just gives you kind of a, kind of a helpful contrast between the two different views here. Yeah. Does that make sense so yeah. far? That's good. Good clarity. And sorry, that, that that's good old a, fashioned. Fairness and meritocracy is yes. not a tool of the critical race theorists. No, no, no. Yeah. So there's no there, context, no background, just yeah, mere appearance of evil, quote yeah. unquote. Okay. Make the make the outcomes equal because, as they'll say, like America is racist in its DNA, it's done all this in the past. And now of course people have pointed out the ridiculous nature of his thesis and by his definition of racism, the NBA's racist toward blacks because they're overrepresented. And, you know, so it's just it's it really is it really is a it's a, it's such a terrible argument. It's hard to take seriously, um, but it, but it's had a lot of it's a lot of influence on people. And last thing I'll say before we hop into this article here. Um, you, there's a there's a another analogy that sometimes you'll talk about in epistemology, which is the widget factory. And so widgets widget like, OK. You know, just you walk into a factory and you got all these widgets, these things that are being made for whatever purpose. (laughs) Now, if someone if if someone says, you know, oh, man, all these widgets are red. But you find out that person has red glasses on that makes everything Mm -hmm. appear red. Oh, boy. Okay. In that case, you no longer know whether or not the widgets are red. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they they if they're not red, they're still going to appear red to that person talking. Very much so. But okay. they could be red, but we just don't know no, if they're okay. and, until you take those glasses off and have a, a better viewpoint of it um, or a different way to maybe test and see if the widgets are, in fact, yeah. red. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's what's called like the, the problem of warrant or justification. And so the problem with CRT is it provides lenses. Mm. So it gives you those lenses. So if we put on the Robin D'Angelo lenses and we say, well, everything's racist, therefore we just got to find out where it manifests, then you're going to interpret things that may or may not be racist as racist. racist. Yeah. It's like having the red glasses on. So somebody looks at you in a certain kind of way, you're automatically going to say racism. Or you, you, you know, somebody overlooks you and you raise your hand in the classroom and they pick the Asian person on the left. If you've got those CRT glasses it's on, because of, it's because of racism. Yeah. Right. And so the problem is we just don't know because CRT has already given you those glasses. 
And that's so thoroughly infused in our culture that now every, yeah. unless you're fighting this ideology, everybody has the disposition already to label something as racist. Wow. Yeah. Last clarification before we jump in this. Okay, what ahead. is racism, biblically speaking? Again, it's race-based impartiality or prejudice against people based on their race. Mm-hmm. So you have the really strong version, which is the examples, you know, be e- the easy ones like the KKK, mm-hmm. chattel slavery, Jim Crow. Clearly racism, clearly sin, yeah, clearly, clearly unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Then you also might have the, like, like let's call it um, racism type two. Like you got <laughs> diabetes type one and type two. KKK is racism one. Racism two would be like more subtle, but, but still racist things. Like if someone did see you raise your hand in mm-hmm. that example, and, over, yeah, and they decidedly. overlook you because in their heart, they don't like black people. Mm-hmm. Now that That's would racism. be a, a yeah. racist action on a more subtle degree. Um, and that can be a real thing. The problem is obviously between those two, which one's harder to discern as an outsider, the second second one. one. And what CRT does is it flattens everything into that. Like it doesn't matter. And it labels them all with the same degree of racism, but it also has a third category that adds on to it. And that's the Ibram X. Kennedy disparities by themselves, those kinds of things. Now that's not biblical racism. So you have to be careful not to allow them to define racism and act like that's a sin because not all the forms of racism that they call, not all the forms of whatever they've put together under that term heading are actually sinful biblical racism. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful to, to parse those out. You also have to understand, go back and listen to those ones on systemic racism. You have to define that carefully because they'll define systemic racism based on disparity alone. And really, if you're going to, if you're going to look for real systemic racism, it has to be a racist policy. Like the policy has to be um, geared at or motivated by racist Mm -hmm. um, motivations or, or to intentionally, there's an argument for you can unintentionally do it too. I'll, I'll leave that one to the side for now. Neil talks about that, but, but basically the, the Ibram X Kennedy version is far from, it's it's just in clown world when it comes to that. Whew, that's a mouthful. Yeah, so now it, let's hop into this. Okay. Trillith promised a new model for Hollywood in the Atlanta suburbs, but black residents and former employees say racism lies just below the surface. Ooh, racism. ominous, ominous. Okay. So, okay, we got uh, Fayetteville, Georgia. In 2013, Dan Cathy, the 69-year-old billionaire who leads his family's fast food empire, Chick-fil-A, saw hundreds of acres of wheat fields near where he grew up and had a vision. At the time, the Atlanta area was becoming the Hollywood of the South thanks to massive tax breaks from state lawmakers, and Kathy was working with the UK-based Pinewood Studios to turn the land 30 miles south of downtown into a state-of-the-art production complex. As the studio grew... Landing massive clients like Disney's Marvel Studios, he and team uh, he and a team of developers planned a new kind of company town alongside it, a quaint but diverse community modeled after European villages to draw artists and entertainment industry players to the suburbs. So a lot of people don't know about that. Mm-hmm. 
you told me about that a few years ago and my mind was blown. Yeah, we we have a mutual friend who lives in the area and he became like a stand-in actor for some of the big time movies, Marvel movies and other movies. He would be um, like a stand-in for someone in Guardian of the Galaxies, Guardian of the Galaxies or Captain America. And so he was the one to tell me that Dan Cathy was building these studios years ago and even took me on a tour of one of them. It was fantastic. They're massive studios and people come here and like the article says, make movies for the tax break. And it's um, it's phenomenal. If you ever get to visit, it's called Pinewood Studios and it's amazing. Yeah. So apparently, yeah, when he when he opened it, it was Pinewood. I didn't know they changed the name recently to this Trillith. Right. And, me either. Um, so they built, uh, we knew he was building, like we, when we first went there, yeah. they just had a couple, like a few houses up. Yeah. We we happened to just go there this past, past week. Last week. And it was crazy, like how much work they had done. It's phenomenal. It's a beautiful town with the most, I mean, gorgeous looking homes. It's real, I don't know, just next level, eclectic, just beautiful just the parks, the area, the t- the restaurants, the yeah. shops, top it, notch, top like. notch. It looks you you see, it and he's like, okay, I want to live in here, but you know, you can't afford to live in here, but it's still beautiful. We walk through the area, we hung yep. out for a couple mm-hmm. hours because we have friends that live there that are are really dear friends, and it was just a wonderful experience yeah. all throughout. We didn't sense. We went inside the gym, we went to various um, shops, and we just saw. My experience was it was diverse and nice and beautiful, friendly throughout. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, some of this that she's going to be reporting on is really anecdotal. She's asking people and they're telling her their experience. No, and that's fine. But what just to just for what it's worth, our experience was nothing like a few of these people are representing here. No doubt. And it was in fact, it was actually the opposite. The gym was like, I mean, it was. It was great. Yeah, it was. I don't remember. It just didn't have that vibe. It didn't have the vibe of anything we're about to <laughs> read to you. In fact, I remember years ago, Dan himself took us on a, a tour of the studios yeah. and showed us around. And it was just super excited. He was just kind. And, you know, my experience with Dan is is. Yeah, great. It's, yeah, it's been it's really great. It's been great. And that's all we're saying. OK. And so, and yeah, no, that's that's good and helpful, babe, because I think mm-hmm. it's important. Um, you know, we've known these people for years. We know a lot of the people surrounding, you know, the Kathy's, your friends. Um, yep. And so it just. Yeah, it's it's funny to watch how they. How Absolutely. Kind of okay. kind of weave so this story here. We so. were just there like three days. OK, yeah, go ahead. So here's Kathy. It says uh, we've been very careful to envision a community that will attract a wide spectrum of people that will inspire folks to live well and to honor others. I believe this is the model for future generations, Kathy said in mm-hmm. 2016. I don't somewhere. Okay. Uh, says uh, Andrew Young's 90th birthday celebration or something. Or maybe that was a separate picture. Who knows? But by 2017, what was then called Pine, Pinewood Atlanta Studios had become the second largest studio in the U.S. behind only Burbank, California's Warner Brothers. Wow. Which yeah, is amazing that's to me. I, I didn't even realize in that. In Georgia. Okay. Um, creating unprecedented opportunities for Georgia to attract major shoots, according to a state Senate report about its exploding entertainment industry. Pinewood Atlanta's 18 stages were consistently booked, former employees told Buzz, BuzzFeed News. And parts of 2019's Avengers Endgame were filled, filmed there. 
In 2019, Kathy's Family Trust bought out Pinewood, rebranding it as Trillith, a nod to its three pillars of storytelling, purpose-built pl- places, and emerging technology. Mm. The studio has grown to 24 stages and signed a five-year contract with Marvel Studios. Recent productions include Disney Plus's Mrs. Marvel's miniseries, talks about Netflix show. Um, let's see. Uh, this is a former studio executive told BuzzFeed that, quote, he wants to build an engine equal to Disney, and no one is going to question that. Chick-fil-A runs this town. Everyone trusts what Dan Cathy says, end quote. So you don't know, I don't know if this is a, yeah, that's, uh, a friend or foe here. She kind of, <laughs> you know, sets it up like everyone, everyone trusts just, this man. Whatever he says goes kind of thing, however. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like a hidden yeah. hell over there, right? Um, across the street, about 1,000 people, roughly a quarter of whom are in the in- entertainment industry, moved to the town at Trillith, a 235-acre housing development within the city of Fayetteville. Though the homes at an average price of around 600000 cost nearly twice okay. as much as others in the area, people were drawn in by the neighborhood's promise. So she's trying to set up this thing sure. here. Like, oh, man, it's a- twice as much, but they're coming because of the promise. What is that promise? Okay. She, go, she continues, marketing materials portray it as a forward-thinking, diverse community in stark contrast with other suburbs of Atlanta, the kind of place where neighbors smile and wave at each other as they walk their dogs. Kids ride their bikes to a private school, and bakery owners know their regular names and orders. And honestly, it does kind of have that feel. We went in a lot of those shops, and mm-hmm. you know, the people seemed like they knew you know, our friends walking in by yeah. name. and knew, you know, kind of a little bit about each other, um, you know, whether or not they marketed it to be different than the surrounding towns and we're better than them. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of this kind of contrasting picture she's creating here, but I'll just give her that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fine. And in the next few years, the town hopes to grow to 5,000 people with a boutique hotel and more retail spots already under construction. Uh, I'm going to skip down here a little bit. Here's where she starts to get into the nuts and bolts. So I I wish I had a soundtrack here to read this, but it says, but tensions were simmering beneath the town's shiny veneer. You see the parallel too. She's almost creating material between the town and Dan Cathy. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody trusts Dan, but you know, here's here's Trillith's, you know, beautiful picture on the outside, you know, and that people love, people love that stuff. It's, it's, you know, rhetorically useful to do that, which Mm -hmm. is fine. Um, if it's true. But, you know, we'll see. When black families used the community pool, there were stairs. <laughs> Sorry. You're so silly. Let me read it. Yeah. 90% of the people in the gym we, that day we yep. were in were yep. black folks. It was black chilling, for sure. Doing we were, their thing. I was like, hey. Yeah, running the classes. Great. Like I, That just, this sounds funny to me, but property was damaged. Sorry, continue on here. Property was damaged and the wrong children were blamed. There were discussions okay. popping up in the community Facebook group about who was using the basketball court and whether they belonged in the town at all. A police cruiser followed a black teenager one night. So this is her. Uh, yeah. She's saving her big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> okay. the, the big note here. But she continues on. Black residents and employees of the adjoining studio began to feel like something was very off. 20 people, eight of whom spoke anonymously because they feared retribution said they had experienced or witnessed the kind of discrimination that's more veiled and understated than the type of behavior that typically captures headlines. So 
which type of racism are these supposed eight out of 20 people who spoke anonymously claiming they're claiming the softer type, yeah, the type, which, two, type yeah. two, which we discuss, which again, we said is the more difficult one, not impossible. Prove, yeah. Like, you know, some people, you know, there, there are times when it's clear that someone's sure. kind of hating and, and you can see the, the vibe. Evidence, and, yeah. And in other but, times it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially, like I said, given our culture where people have been trained to put on mm-hmm. the CRT glasses. Nowadays, it literally is like everyone's in the factory with red glasses on. So we just it, that makes it even harder right. to just believe someone when they yeah, tell you like, that that's going on. It's like everyone a racist until proven otherwise. Right. And in D'Angelo's world, that, it can't be proven. Right. Otherwise. It can't. You can't ever you okay. can just find a different way to manifest. Yeah. It. OK. And so, you know. You, you'll see sure, why not, yeah. I'm to I'm charging this writer with, um, you know, kind of having bought into the woke ideology. And we'll see why here in a minute. But that's the rough sketch of what she's talking about. Stairs at the community pool. Police crews are following someone. So let me continue here. It wasn't the type that typically captures the headlines, but what they described was systemic. Mm. Woven into everyday interactions and business exchanges. So part of CRT, again, is that systemic racism is always with us. So this should not be this would not be unique. If uh, about Trillith, for instance, Um, if if she's this would be happening at BuzzFeed as well. Ah. Because systemic racism is everywhere. It's just a matter of how it gotcha. manifests. So For somebody sure. could write this article on them and say the same thing, you know. But she's at least she's going to try to persuade people that are skeptical by giving them specific examples. So she said this. What they described was systemic. Black former employees of Trilla Studios and Trilla Development, the two companies that operate the enterprise, told BuzzFeed News they were reprimanded or fired for asking for more responsibilities and leadership opportunities. Black residents described being treated differently on issues from home repairs to how their children were perceived by neighbors. Afraid of alienating themselves in the new neighborhood, they said they stayed silent. Mm. Now, if you took one of those, you know, each each at a time that they were um, reprimanded or fired for asking for more responsibilities and leadership opportunities, based on what I know about anybody I've met on there, that seems to me very doubtful. Mm-hmm. that they asked for more responsibilities. They're like, you're fired. <laughs> right. right, right, right. <laughs> Can I have more leadership? Yeah. That, that to me sounds like propaganda 101. But let's just, again, let, let's give her the benefit of the doubt here and say, man, may, maybe that was. Um, if there was some reason for thinking that, there might be at best here an opportunity to investigate. Yeah. I would investigate it. For sure. I wouldn't simply take... Um, people's word for it because that sounds fishy to me that doesn't pass that doesn't pass the smell test based on what i know about people that work at chick-fil-a or work at trillith sure okay um black residents being treated differently on home repairs possibly worth looking into we'll see um afraid of alienating themselves so they they stayed silent Mm. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't live in a community like that and pay that much and experience that and be <laughs> silent if that were me. So it's like I don't know that the fact that this is is so um, veiled in its uh, give us an example of yes. a specific example that sure. would be very helpful. Yeah, and so there's more to work with. Yeah, to so the, she she does do that. Thankfully, here's, here's okay, cool. So here's her big one. All right. So she's saying that this was all, you know, they were all silent. That is until March when a ring camera recorded a white resident 
ranting at her husband outside her black neighbor's home house, referring to its occupants Ooh. as the N-word. Okay, now that. The racist incident sparked a reckoning as some black residents realized that they were far from alone and feeling like outsiders in a place sold on belonging. Two black homeowners, however, told BuzzFeed News during a visit that the town has been a place where they and their children feel at home among... So so at least she... she yeah. She, and again, I don't know, have any idea how many she interviewed, but she said two black homeowners, however, told BuzzFeed News during a visit that the town has been a place where they and their children feel at home among like-minded individuals, including the Chick-fil-A executives who make up some of their neighbors. And then she says... Largely, members of the community said they still believe in Trillith's vision and wanted to make it better. Largely, okay. They demanded changes to Trillith's leadership structure. They de- so listen to that wording. They demanded changes to Trillith's leadership structure. Mm. Structure, not specific individuals in the leadership who they thought were racist. Okay. Structure. That's a good catch. That's, okay. a, that, that's an important word there. Structure. Held emergency community meetings and wanted to talk to Kathy. Some people fed up with issues with their homes, along with frustrations about how racist incidents were being handled, chose to leave altogether. If, if, if what she's claiming is true, that this lady, you know, used the N-word, that was definitely a racist incident. Mm-hmm. You know, she displayed racist activity there. Might come from a racist heart. Overall, yeah. sure. Um, at best, what you have there is one individual in a community who's racist. Mm-hmm. That doesn't show anything about the systemic structure. The other items that she does kind of mention yeah. in veiled form could potentially warrant investigation that could reveal that. Sure. But you see the leaps they're taking already. Mm-hmm. They're, t- they're weaving this story together based on really only one strong piece of evidence and these other subtle things that could may or may not be have to look very deeply into it. And then putting that together right. in this overall thing to show that Trillith is it's, this way yeah. and that they can demand that their leadership structure changes. What, in what way, what do they want to change it? What do they want to change sure, the structure into? So she continues here. Okay. This is an important, uh, read this first sentence. Slowly. The, the issues plaguing Trillith white and black employees and residents say are largely the result of its circle of executives and Kathy who has been open about how his Baptist faith influences his business and his personal stance against marriage equality. Envisioning harmony in the town without taking into account what that means for people who aren't white or evangelical Christians. So there's the get, there's the tell. You know, you always have the it's moment when somebody's playing cards and they they, oh my they, gosh. they give the tell. That was that. So here, so you see in the sentence, there's a turn. Sure. Now it's Trillis is plagued, plagued with racism, these issues. Um, and what is the what is the plague due to? It's largely the result, according to these employees and residents, according to BuzzFeed. It's largely the result of its circle of executives and, and Kathy, who, Ooh. why did they put Baptist faith instead of Christian faith? One can only wonder, but my guess would be because the Southern Baptist Convention right now is getting me tooed. Oh, And okay. so you have the patriarchy mm. here, right, in Kathy. 
Um, you have, then he talks about the, the, she talks about his business and personal stance against marriage equality. There's the LGBTQ. Marriage equality. So here's, here's everything together. The fist with the rainbow flag around it. I see. Feminism, racism, and LGBTQ activism wrapped up in one. And what's the enemy of that? In her mind, in many minds, it's the canonical oppressor, the white, Christian, heterosexual, oh cisgender gosh. male. Shoot. And so this is this is okay. what she's trying. So when you're reading this article the, again, like core. what is the data? What she try, what's her thesis here? The thesis is right here in this paragraph. It's like the issues plaguing Trillith. Here's the real problem with all this stuff. It's his Christianity. Ooh. It's his anti-gay, patriarchal, racist person and in his ideology it's his ideology yeah. it's the problem holy smokes okay now this is where you want to ask the postmodernists um by whose standard is racism wrong we believe it's wrong in the bible because sure. we have the imago day absolutely and because christ made to bring every ethnic group together as one new man one new woman under him right absolutely and so yeah. while it doesn't erase distinctions it holds us all equal as made in his image and all equal before the cross um, that's why we don't show partiality. That's why we treat everyone with dignity mm-hmm. and respect. Why would a postmodernist do that though? They have no, they have no moral law, no objective moral law to appeal to. All they have is this card of racism to play to get power. Mm. And so, you know, she has no leg to stand on likely. Um, maybe she's one of those people who are trying to wed Christianity with critical theory. I, I don't know, um, which can't be done, but maybe she's that version. But postmodernism itself has no moral leg to stand on and, and rail at anybody, first of all. But we'll say as Christians, we want to take these accusations seriously mm-hmm. because we think that racism is bad. Um but she wants to wrap this thing up into this massive ideology and lay the blame at the feet of evangelicalism. And, and, and it's just wicked uh, bigotry and, and non-diverse you know, methods and ways. So I'm going to continue on here. Residents and former employees told BuzzFeed News there were, f- there were few people of color in leadership roles no place to file complaints and no forum giving people at all levels of the community a place to be heard. So let's take those in, you know, one by one. They told BuzzFeed that there are a few people of color in leadership roles. Um, that's not necessarily a problem biblically. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's the only question is not how many people are represented with skin hues. The question is, was there a fair hiring process and did they fire, did they hire people based on merit? Mm-hmm. If they did, it doesn't matter to me that there's eight black folks on the basketball team out of 10. Did you get the best ones or were you partial right. to them because they were black? If mm-hmm. that, if you did that, then you got that a case, also but not, okay. you can't just count numbers. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't matter from a biblical perspective, whether or not how many people are in leadership roles based on what ethnicity, what matters are they qualified? Um, there's no place to file complaints, she, she says. I don't know how these communities run. I, I do know enough about Dan that if, if there was a legitimate complaint, I feel like he would bend over backwards sure. three times to try to meet it. Um, no forum giving people at all levels of the community a place to be heard. So maybe they open up a forum box. <laughs> you know, who? You, you, I don't think BuzzFeed really cares that they do that because that's not their aim. Um, but you know, if, if that's something that Trillith wants to do, great. If it's not, and they want to move out, you know, it's fine. Every to each their own in that sense. Um, 
you could choose to not pay that, you know, average $600,000 uh, monthly <laughs> or uh, sure. it's, it's a lot of other places, that, uh, mortgage yeah. for your, for your home there. Sure. So Buzzfeed news reached out to Kathy, uh, Town President Rob Parker and Trilla Studios President Frank Patterson with a specific list of allegations from employees, former employees, and members of the community. Stephen Brown, a Trillis resident who handles PR for the town, said he would handle the response for all parties. Quote, Trillith is a place for everyone, and this story is incomplete, inaccurate, and mischaracterizes the mission we devote ourselves to daily in providing a supportive and collaborative place, unquote, his statement said. Um, Brown and Trillith declined multiple times, she says, to respond to questions about what was inaccurate. Now, part of this is I understand why they don't want to talk to a propaganda rag like BuzzFeed is because they're inevitably going to take your words and, and, and spin them out of context. They're expert spin doctors. But on the other hand, sometimes I wish they would just I, I, I wish that Brown and Kathy would get online and start talking about this stuff in public. Like, I think that's where it's at right now. Like, we've got to use our platforms mm -hmm. to set the record straight. And so, uh, you know, I'm kind of with with the writer on this one. Like, uh, let's hear your response. Like, sure. if, if you're saying it was inaccurate, tell us why. Mm -hmm. Show us. Don't mm -hmm. hide behind it and don't try to fix it behind the scenes and just try to make the problem go away. I'd rather see it confronted. Um and, you know, I see you're kind of like, waving. yeah, I just think, you know, there's a side to you don't um, you don't you don't you don't cast your pearls. If you know, they're just just after um, just bringing him down, attacking his faith. If there's a there's a way of like going about it where you don't fuel that fire. Sure. But yet you stay you remain integral and you just do what you know is right outside of the limelight, too. But I get it. I think. I think this isn't the first time he's been attacked for his faith and his stance. And so it's like, I see this becoming a, a routine problem as far right. as accusing him or coming for this kind of, kind of thing. So sure. And I, and, and I'll see that like that, that is an important point. There, there's probably some wisdom on knowing which battles to fight when, Yeah. but I just, I feel like, and, and you know, it might be one of those things where they're like, you know what, this little article, it's so untrue and it isn't worth my time. Right. It'll blow over. But part of the, the warrior, sure. the warrior side of Definitely, me no doubt. that gets frustrated by the woke mob and these woke propaganda yeah. rags wants me, I, I want people to, and look, let me yeah, hold that we off. We need to, to, you know, the, the whole postmodernness thinking and the way of thinking is, is, is something that every believer should understand right now because it, it opposes truth. It opposes getting down to the bottom of things. If there's no context, there's only narrative. And so anything can be spun a certain way. And sometimes that's the very reason you don't want to get down and get in the dirt with them. But at the same time, there's a side of exposing this. This is what this is. This is the kind of attack this is. And this is, I mean, it's everywhere. They say racism is everywhere. <laughs> Critical race theory is everywhere. No, that, yeah, that's true. Critical it's race it's just as much everywhere. Ever present. It's systemic. <laughs> it is. Anyway, so, you know... And, and here we're still refraining from judgment about sure, whether bad. or not. No, 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 yeah. no. But the based on BuzzFeed and what I know about. Okay. Trillith and Kathy, you know, my, yeah. I would tend to put more weight on their testimony. But I'm, but I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here and say, man, maybe they're not completely spinning this stuff uh, or you know, sure. making it up whole cloth. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of this episode of Woke BuzzFeed News Goes After Dan, Kathy, and Trillith. Uh, if you get a chance, go ahead and subscribe to Free Mind Podcast. Give us a review. It helps us out. It helps us get more listeners. Uh, but if you're interested, part two should be up as well. So flip on over there and finish it up. We'll see you guys next time. Woke.